Well, welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast, live from a porch in Columbia, South Carolina, appropriately distant from one another, and, uh, you know, adjusting to the quarantine times. Yep, this is our first time recording with two mics for one of these. Yep, that's true. So technologically advanced. It's strange to hear you through headphones during this and not just in the room. Okay, so today we are bringing in Kira Rossler, um, just sort of a legendary bass player. She played in Black Flag for a good chunk of their career. She played in the band Dose with uh, her ex-partner Mike Watt, who has also been on the Comfort Monk podcast. Um, She played in some projects with Pat Smear from The Germs, and I mean, she's just very iconic, legendary bass player from the L.A. punk scene. We were pretty excited to talk to her. What are your yeah. thoughts on it, Eddie? <laughs> uh, well, she she played on a lot of the best uh, Black Flag records when they started adding a little bit more, like, kind of like metal guitars, a little more spoken word from Henry Rollins, just when the band got a little bit more than 45-second, you know, sing-along punk songs. Totally. Um, I mean, she joined right when they were about to start touring for the My War record, I believe. Um, so the first record she plays on is Family Man, which is pretty much like a... It's a starkly different record for the for the Black Flag discography. I, I believe it's the only one that's got all the spoken word stuff going on. Um, I mean, to that degree, at least. Because a lot of it, there's not even the band on. I think half the record is just spoken word, and then mm-hmm. the second half the band plays on. Um, but it's such an interesting record. I kind of dove back into the to that era of the band in prep for this, uh, for this chat with her. Um, and I was just like, man, what a bizarre point to be like jumping into the band. I mean, and, but Kira's bass lines are just so solid her playing with bill stevenson it's just incredible like uh, especially on the record slip it in and the title track like they are just so solid on that and she mentions in the in the interview with her that you know that it's kind of a strange feeling to like embrace those records after the fact for her because you know they weren't lines that she was necessarily writing but we discuss a lot about that that as a process of being a musician you know taking other people's parts and uh you know learning how to adapt to that world as opposed to just writing and playing your own parts and how there's unique challenges and sort of rewards that go with that but it was really great talking to her i feel like she's really done it a lot with her career and and has you know influenced a ton of people um and sometimes uh maybe you know she's not as much of the conversation as i'd like her to be considering how how influential she was, you know, I mean, I think uh, as far as Black Flag bass players, she stands out as my personal favorite in that, but I think she's accomplished so much outside of that, and I think she's appreciated within uh, that scene for sure, but, um, you know, hopefully those of you who aren't familiar with her outside of Black Flag will take the time to experience some of that after listening to this, Um, and if you have already heard that, well, good for you, You're you're on the right path. Uh, it's a good journey to go on. Um, but yeah, um, I think maybe we should just sort of jump to it and let, let the conversation speak for itself. But like we said, uh, you know, it was a, it was an honor to have Kira on the show. She's just incredibly talented and played on a lot of records that mean a lot to us. Um, and to take the time to speak with us was really uh, 
gracious ever. But thanks so much for listening, guys. This is the Comfort Monk Podcast. We're going to have more for you soon. Enjoy. Bye. Three dogs, they certainly don't mind a lot of uh, walks and home time, uh, although they usually get quite a bit of friend time, and I think they do miss going out and playing with their friends. Yeah. Um, I was just finishing literally like a month solid of everyday work, so I was very ready for a break. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's good time in that regard. Yeah, so and my husband is retired, so you know some of it isn't. Uh, I was expected to have a little bit of a break here, uh, anyway. But you know, it's it's weird and uncomfortable and all that too, and nerve wracking. We're trying not to go out, you know. Right, it's not the best context to have extra free time, but you know, I guess all we can really do is try to make the most of it and be safe while we're doing that, you know. Yeah, we're definitely not uh, going places and doing stuff. Uh, aside from the walks, that's really all we're doing. We're trying to get everything delivered in and just, you know, play by the rules. Right. Well, have you found any at-home projects, creative or otherwise, to kind of lean into right now? Or have you not quite gotten there yet? I, you know, I always play my base sometimes. I just noodle to keep my hands strong. I have, you know, I usually have about 20 or 30 songs that are in some state of, you know, process that I try to push along. But I have to say, because of the work thing, you know, I'm not in the sit down and work on things for hours mode because it just wasn't before. And I'm not really used to my husband being home when I'm off. So we're doing more stuff uh, together because it's unusual. He just retired in June, so it's, it's strange. So, you know, we we aren't as much used to just sitting in the same place but doing different stuff. So we do stuff together, and I, I'm sure that will change. His big hobby is golf, so uh, he's miserable not getting to do a bit more. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, quality time with the people who are, you know, who you can actually spend time with right now is just as good of a project as anything else, you know. Um, I've been fortunate yeah, enough yep. that one of the biggest hobbies that I have uh, is riding a bicycle, and I feel like that's something that you can kind of manage to do with without really crossing paths with other humans. Um, so I've been just yeah. kind of riding around in the middle of nowhere and and uh you know just to rest or cure my uh my restlessness just cuz i'm not used to being home this often and it's you know makes me stir crazy pretty quick but if that's the worst thing i have to complain about right now it's not too bad you know i do what part of the country are you in uh we're actually in columbia south carolina ah yes i know it well yeah i was uh, i was looking into some of your some of your tour history and i saw that I mean, 
Black Flag definitely played Columbia several times over the years. Um, I think it was, I want to say that it was in 84 that The Clash and Black Flag played here on the same night, uh, which is just <laughs> a crazy night for Columbia. If only I had been here at that point, you know. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. That would have hurt our crowd. Well, from what I read, because uh, there's a, an, an old newspaper clipping I found about it, and it said the Black Flag show was like purposely scheduled as like an after show, almost. Just pushed it to a later start so that there'd be less conflict, you know? So I, a lot of people I know who are older folks from the scene around here, you know, a few of them were like, yeah, we, we all just made a point to hit both. We went and saw The Clash and then skipped across town to go to the Black Flag show. I was like, what a night. That would have been a crazy night in Columbia. That does sound like uh, a familiar thing now that you mention it. I, I don't think we went over to see The Clash, but uh, but yeah, I think that you're right about that. We would be played later. Well, no. Pretty cool to have in our in our show history here. Um, but yeah, um, I guess, you know, I, first off, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's uh, great to have you on here. Um, but I, I kind of want sure. to pick your brain a little bit you know I you know I spent a lot of time recently revisiting you know the era of Black Flag that you were in and all the Dose records and um but I was really kind of curious about your musical history before Black Flag I know that you played in several bands but I don't really know a whole lot about whether or not those were actively touring bands or if you were hanging out more in the just in the Los Angeles scene at the time. I'd love to hear a little more about your time, you know, how you came to the bass and, you know, just those early bands you were involved with. Okay. Um, so I, when I was a kid, I started on piano, actually. Um, and uh, and then uh, my brother, my older brother, uh, is a keyboard player and composer type guy. And he started prog rock band, you know, progressive rock band in the era of like, you know, Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and these sort of progressive rock bands. Uh, so he wrote this 40-minute epic opera thing to, and his band, uh, bass player, left the band. And I had this idea that I could pick up the bass and get to be good enough to join the band. Cause we, it, it, younger, we had both played the piano and, and I had felt kind of competitive with him and never able to, to keep up. But I finally had the idea that if I just played a different instrument that I could uh, play with him. So I started practicing like a million hours. I borrowed a bass from one of the guys that uh, was peripherally involved in the band and, uh, Start practicing and practicing and practicing along to that uh, piece that he had written and doing scales and just, you know, doing everything I could to get good enough to join the band, which I never did get good enough to join before he moved on and got into punk rock. So um, then we moved and uh, he started, we started this punk rock band, which we didn't really know what it was. But we had some friends who um, ended up calling themselves Germs, who he had gone to school with. And uh, we went to a couple of shows of theirs. We, we conceived an idea of what we thought punk rock was, right? So it's like, 
you know, you play fast and you cut all your hair off and you scream and stuff. You know, right. like, <laughs> like many in the early days, you didn't, you know, there was not like, and I still believe this, it's not like there's a set of like, this is what punk rock is and isn't. So you're just trying to figure it out, you know. So um, we uh, started a punk rock band and I, we all had our, our punk rock names. I was Candy Kane. And, uh, you know, wrote songs uh, that were appropriate to the punk rock thing. And then our first gig was at the Whiskey A Go-Go. And I'm still young, right? I was in high school. So uh, I'm like 16 when we played the Whiskey A Go-Go, my first gig ever. Um, and we played all in all that band, Wax, W-A-X-X, played like three or four gigs tops, you know. So uh, uh, we did that, and then that sort of fell apart. And me and the guitar player went on to form a couple of other bands after that. Now, my brother joined a band called The Screamers, which was a little bit bigger, um, you know. And it ended up, The Screamers did end up doing some touring. They did a little bit going up north. Uh, the West Coast, and then they went over to New York and stuff, and I actually went with them as a roadie uh, just to go along. Um, but then uh, I had a couple of other bands, but one called The Visitors, one called The Monsters. We just, you know, were local L.A. bands. Just Look, the truth is, a lot of it was just kind of rock music, right. because that's what, that's what this guitar player knew, so that's what the song what songs were like, you know, and it was in the context of these punk rock gigs, but that was true of a lot of the bands, you know, a lot of the bands, a lot of the bands that I really liked, you know, you could easily have categorized them as rock bands, they might have dressed funny or whatever, but, you know, all in all, if you had just been listening to the music, it didn't sound that different, I mean, the Ramones is a rock band, you know, sorry. Yeah, oh, Totally. I mean, you know, you're you kind know. of splitting hairs a little bit when it when it comes down to, you know, those nuanced genres, you know. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, a lot of that that earlier stuff is a little less fast and driving and just kind of more just loud rock music, you know. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that I, it was it was definitely not clear cut you know, oh, this is that, and this is this other thing, um, like you said, splitting hair. So then I uh, I tried my hand at an all-girl band called Sex Sick, S-E-X-S-I-C-K, um, which uh, didn't go great. We didn't play a lot of gigs also because my, my take from it was that all-girl bands were not a good idea. Um, but, you know, that's just me. I just found that guys tended to take things a little bit more sort of business-like, you know, and leave the emotions out of it. Right. You know, uh, so uh, then I, I was in my brother. Uh, my brother had another band called Twisted Roots, which I was in three different times. He kicked me out uh, of that band, uh, various incarnations of it. Um, but yes, all... LA, you know, all the gigs, pretty much LA, a few, you know, Orange County and San Diego shows, every once in a while, maybe a San Francisco show, but you know, no, 
no real capacity to tour the country. Plus, I was in school the whole time, you know. So I I finished high school and started at UCLA, and uh, you know, I stayed in school because part of my part of my father's divorce arrangement was to keep sending child support checks, so I could help with rent as long as I stayed in school. So I had a motivation uh, that way as well as just, I actually did take some time off and I found it to music by itself, not to be stimulating enough without something extra. Oh, totally. So I went, so I studied, you know, math and economics uh, and struggled at UCLA. Yeah. I was going to say like, Touring as heavily as you were when you were in Black Flag while being in school, I mean, did that play a large part in sort of defining your collegiate experience, you know? I mean, you, you're you kind of working double time, you know, most pe- a lot of people are having the summers off or at least, you know, staying at home and working a summer job, but you're hitting the road, like, and hitting it hard in, in, those, in those off months, you know? Um, did that kind of... Well, so... Okay, so I was three months, three years into my UCLA uh, four-year degree when I joined Black Flag, which is one of the reasons I said, look, I'm not going to um, quit school. Yes, don't squash the three years that you've already put in, you know. But what I will do is I'll take off quarters and go on tour. And I, you know, so that last year did take me two years to get through because I would take time off tour and yeah it was brutal I mean there's no way to describe it other than inevitably I would be doing midterm exams at the same time we'd be recording a record and having a 48 hour lockout at some studio or we would go on tour and they'd literally be dropping me off at UCLA from the tour for day one of classes you know it was ridiculous in terms of the um and even when we're home, I mean, that's I practiced five hours a day, you know. So I would go to school, I would practice, and I would do homework. I, I didn't I had no life at all aside from that, you know. And there was no such thing as summer because we were either touring or I was in a summer quarter trying to get my degree finished. So, you know, I, I look at that time and I go, look, it was not a creative time in my life, but it was, it was sort of like training for the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, it had to have been, I mean, even if you felt like you weren't able to lean into your creative side as much as you'd like, I mean, there's no denying that it, that you were being productive. I mean, you guys were just churning out records and, uh, I mean, school is enough to occupy a lot of people, you know, so to to split your time and then to that extent. And the physical demands were, you know, for me, the physical demands were almost, you know, as much as any of it was because, uh, you know, I'm not a real big person and I'm trying to manhandle that big for those hours and those, those two-hour shows, you know, for month after month on tour. And right. it was everything I could do physically putting aside the sort of mental stress uh so you know yeah I looked at it as just it's somewhat of a survival thing uh and surviving it was a plus <laughs> oh absolutely well I mean and I'm really glad that I mean to say the very least I'm really glad it happened because that era of the band is really special to me I mean I 
I love everything you're doing on the bass with that on those records is just you know it sounds so complimentary and you're just holding it down um and it's i mean it's just really exciting rhythm section stuff you and bill together i mean it's so good at your craft and the two of you together it's just a pretty powerhouse sort of situation so i mean that that run of records is i mean it's just you guys are really on fire at that point it feels like to me um yeah, Bill was something, is something still. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's got to be one of the loudest drummers I've ever heard, but in a good way. The first time I ever saw The Descendants, the first song, all of the drum mics weren't on yet, but I he started the song, and I was like, God, those, those drums sound huge. And then all of a sudden, all the drum mics kicked on, and I was like, it was like a kick in the head, but in the most satisfying way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he's, he's, look, he helped me a lot because obviously at the beginning I was not strong enough, you know, and I had to go through some pretty intense transitions and it was, uh, it was his patience really and just working with me to help me figure out how to just focus in and, and the truth is, you know, that's what Greg wanted. He wanted me to hold down lifts and that way he could, you know, have some fun on the guitar, you know. My creativity was not required. Well, you know, and, you know, like I said, you were holding it down, but a lot of what you're holding it down with is still real bouncy and melodic. I mean, you're not, you're not just sitting there doing, you know, quarter notes. You're, you're like really adding a ton to those songs. Well, okay, but be clear on this. He wrote those riffs, as all I'm saying. Oh, so okay, I was not, gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't right. I was taking the riffs that he wanted me to play and playing them over and over again so that he could do solos over it. And that's, you know, I didn't mind doing that because that was sort of the nature of the band. He was the songwriter, and that's what was required of me. And that, that's always a kind of a, a nice exercise anyways, like, you know, taking the homework assignment and executing it that well um you know not everybody can play a part that somebody else wrote with that level of you know sort of steez behind it um because you played it like it was your own you know like there's a ton of you don't feel like a hired hand even though you know maybe as far as the writing is concerned it may have been more like that but it translates um so you know with a lot of passion yeah well look i definitely although uh infrastructurally I was a hired hand that's I think what I'm saying Bill helped me a lot with is to feel the passion of just being a really great rhythm section and to sort of put the ego aside in terms of what can I do to make this better you know and and that's um and that is I mean often the bass players lot and I didn't have ever have any you know real discomfort with that uh, it wasn't until right. well, in my all girl band maybe a little, and and those when I started to feel that somewhat of a songwriter type, a little more ownership situation. Right, and I think that there's there's kind of pros and cons to both. You know, I personally, I you know, it was probably only more recently that I really ever had kind of gigs where people were looking for me to play. Uh, you know, someone else's parts, specifically kind of keyboard oriented stuff. And it's kind of, it's kind of fun to, to take that challenge. Like how, you know, 
what's it going to be like for me to tackle these pre-existing parts as opposed to writing something um gets you out of your own head a little bit you know um yeah, I mean, my brother sometimes, he, he works in a studio and produces records and on occasion has asked me to to generate a uh, baseline for someone's work, you know. And I do, I find it an interesting challenge to just uh, let go of my preconceived ideas and write something or even, what's even more interesting is write a couple of different kinds of baselines and just say, okay, here's a couple of things you pick what <laughs> yeah. you pick, you know. And it takes a little bit of that pressure of like, you know, because sometimes you can drag a project out if you're having to make all of the creative choices for it, but if you're just like, hey, here's here's what I got, pick what you like from it, that's kind of a nice change of pace too, you know. Um, speaking of speaking of your brother um, and that, that rock opera he made, was that ever documented in any way was there like a recording or yeah that is that is on record he recorded it much later uh in life in his current studio it's called uh the arc arc and uh yeah he did a full-length recording of it i think he had uh some other players help play on it um and it's uh, quite a, it's quite a, to me, it will always have that sort of old fashioned prog rock kind of feeling to it. But I think if, if, if one were to come to it with fresh ears, it might not sound like that. To me, it always will sound like, uh, kind of old fashioned, but I don't know what it would be like for someone to come to it a little fresher. That's, that's great that he got around to recording it. So, I mean, gosh, how, how much time do you think went between, the you know the the composing and writing side of that and the actual you know recording process. I mean, sounds like it was pretty far. Uh, after he the wrote it. When, yeah, he wrote it when he was sixteen for a project, and um, he was probably fifty at least when he recorded it. So yeah, yeah it that's took awesome. a while. I love that though. You know, like I mean, that project was sat on a shelf for so long, but given it a new life, plus with the added perspective, both as a player and just, you know, as a creative mind that he probably had by tackling it later in life, you know, I'm sure it probably benefited the recording overall that he had all of those years of, you know, experience under his belt when he actually laid it down, you know? Definitely in terms of the quality of the recording, if nothing else, like you say. And, to, and the playing-wise, like I said, uh, he now has these relationships with these amazing players, so I bet he has some great cameos on there uh, with players that, you know, he never would have been able to draw from back then. Oh, totally. Well, hopefully I can dig that up somewhere on the uh, on the Internet and see if I can't lay my ears on it, because that's, that's really interesting. Um I like the idea behind it a lot. Um, and I'm not scared of prog rock. <laughs> you know, uh, there, there's there's some of it that that speaks to me here and there. Um, but, uh, so I know you've, you know, in more recent years, you've really kind of hunkered down on, on all of your dialogue editing and you've got really, some really great success that has come to your way as far as that, as far as your, you know, you've worked on some really big shows. I know that you've, worked on Game of Thrones, you know, as well as so many other projects. Um, but how did you get 
started in the film world, I mean, was there kind of like a gradual thing or did you just jump head first into it? Um, I actually met someone through my brother. Um, I was working in the computer industry and I met my brother was composing uh, music for a short film that this guy was basically the sound designer. Uh, he, was a, he was a USC student, uh, film school student who was doing the sound for it. And my brother was going to be the composer for this little short film. And they had brought me in to do some bass for it. And I met this guy and he was basically just trying to start this tiny little sound company um, for, you know, movies and stuff. And I got to know him a bit better. And I just was so sick of my corporate computer job uh, that I was basically constantly trying to twist his arm to let me come work for him. And, and I said, look, I'll take, you know, eight bucks an hour. Just, you know, let me come answer your phones and be invoicing until I can, you know, be someone who can help help you make money, you know. Right. I'll figure it out. I'll learn how to be, you know, an editor. I'll, I'll do this. So after probably a year of cajoling him and his company getting, you know, a few more gigs and getting a little more established, um, he uh, hired me and I took a huge cut and pay and, uh, and started out, like I said, just answering his phones and stuff. But what, what I noticed was that guys, the guys that he had there, two other guys, were drawn to sound effects and other things, but no one was drawn to doing dialogue work. And in the industry, it turns out to be a, a pretty skewed towards women. Uh, so... I started trying to focus in on that because it was seen to be sort of a niche that maybe I could uh, provide value in, you know. So, so I just uh, started working really hard at it with his help, and then you know, with some painful things like having people reject my work and and having to work harder on it and send it back and stuff. Yeah, I mean. uh, well, was it much of a transition for you? I know you said that you know it's kind of a a more female dominated world. Um, I feel like, you know, like you were saying earlier, historically you've kind of you spent a lot of time collaborating with you know a lot of male, uh, you know, peers of yours. Um, was it a bit of a, you know, learning curve, change of pace for you to to kind of shift gears to a, a female dominated world like that? No, what I'm saying is that the, the dialogue editors were, so so the teams, though, still tend to be heavily weighted male. So you'll have, let's say you have the sound supervisor and you have an effects designer or two, and then you have an assistant editor, and then you have a Foley guy. So you have tend to have, let's say, a team, even a small team will be four or five, six people, and maybe one of them will be the dialogue person that happens to be a woman. So it didn't necessarily mean that I was dealing with Women. I got gotcha. you, because you're kind of... You're... The team, right, the team is made up of people doing all different kinds of editing, much of which is not dialogue, right? Right. So most of the teams I worked on were still um, were still very mixed, if nothing else. And look, the, the girl thing I got uh, passed a long time ago, I think young women have a tendency to be you know, competitive and struggle with 
but you know, these days as as adults and 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 who are working in an industry and who are professionals, you just don't get the same. Once in a while, you come across a woman where you're like, "Wow, there seems to be something weird going on." <laughs> it's familiar in an old fashioned way, but very rarely. Right, and, and I get what you're saying. Yeah, I guess I mean, um, you know, because like, I, does that kind of I guess I'm getting the impression that as a dialogue editor, do you spend a lot of time, what what you're doing within the context of the greater team, are you working primarily on your own, on, on your specific aspect of it, or do you get to collaborate within that? So, um, it's, uh, let's, let's take, I mean, I just worked on, say, Stars Born, right? Mm-hmm. Move, Stars Born. Okay, so there's a set of work to be done, which is uh, editing the dialogue, which is pretty much of me by myself in the room taking the dialogue tracks and trying to make them work uh, for the mix and just prepping them for the mix and, and fixing any problems I can fix by the time the mix comes around. Then there's a set of work that involves recording the background people, the loop group, recording any ADR I need to do to replace principal dialogue because there's noise problems, because I always have to record things like TV lines in case it's ever going to play on TV and there's a lot of swearing. And then in terms of working with my team, that happens here and there. Let's say there's a crowd sequence and I have crowds in my dialogue track and then my effects guy, he's also prepping crowds and we're interacting as to how best prepare those so it all works together in the end, you know, or something like that. Or, hey, this thing seems out of sync. What do you think of moving it three frames later? You know, so there's that kind of interaction. But those are sort of one-off situational things within the team. So I work with, say, the actors and director when I'm on the uh, ADR stage recording replacement dialogue and then I work with by myself and then when you're going to the mixing phase then we're all kind of back together or a set of us are back together in one room with mixers you have a music editor you have an effect editor and you have me there and the clients are there and we're all trying to make sure that the mix moves forward and anything that's needed right on the spot can be done. So I'm there to support if he wants to change something and I'm there to make sure that it happens fast so that the mix keeps moving because mixes cost a lot of money. So they want to have support staff there to just make sure that things move. Nice. So it's a mixture is something. It's like, you know, sixty forty maybe by myself and around a bunch of people. Gotcha, that's cool. Well, you know, uh that's pretty inspirational for me actually you know I, I went to school here in Columbia and studied in the media arts program here at the University of South Carolina and you know when I when I went to school I had every intention of you know I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get into the I'm going to try to break into the film world but on an audio level um, I don't know if I ever really quite got my full clear idea of what aspect of that world I wanted to go into I know I was you know of course, just sound design in general, um, you know, it would have, I guess I never really took that plunge into the, you know, after I graduated, I, I leaned into to music and, and, you know, projects like this one that I'm doing, um, 
but it's really refreshing to hear that you know you went you went to school and you spent so much time doing music both during and after and then a little bit later you know leaned into that interest of yours um so it's kind of refreshing to hear that maybe maybe one day I will use my degree for what I actually studied um you know you get at your wits end with a day job and it's kind of nice to hear that yeah maybe maybe it's not a lost cause to pursue pursue that well, one day Unfortunately, in this industry, it really is just a fluke of having met someone or happening to meet someone who can give you some kind of opportunity. In it. And it's so rare. Whenever anybody asks me, you know, how do you become, you know, an editor? I'm like, don't try. Because yeah. <laughs> there's just way more people who want to do it than, you know, than there are projects. And right now, uh, right now, look, this is going to hit the movie industry so hard. I was just about to ask how, you know, what the greater so, so picture think was about like. it. Production is totally stopped. Yeah. So production is, even once things start up again, let's say six months from now, we're totally back up and running and all production is going. Post-production lags behind that because you have to actually have stuff to work on. Right. So, so those it could be a way, year. Yeah. That's it, tough. It could be a year before post-production gets back on its feet. You know, so it, this is a really, and it's going to happen as anybody who's anywhere near retiring or getting into something else because this is such a screwed up business. <laughs> this is the time. Right. Because... You know, this is a hard business. I I told you I I mean I worked thirty days straight, right going into this break, uh, not because I wanted to. I could not get a day off. Yeah, I mean there was that much going because, on. Because uh, they what happens is they these productions just demand so much out of you. Every show, it's like you're bleeding and sweating all over their show. And then the next one expects the same. And it's, uh, you know, in some movies, it, it, you have shorter streaks of that. But once you're on the mixing stage, it's, you know, it's brutal. You know, it's kind of like touring, except maybe you sleep a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You could probably, but, or at least in the same place most of the time, you're sleeping in the same place. I mean, <laughs> um. but it's. Still, it's like, but a lot of times you don't sleep that much more. I mean, a lot of mixes, they go till 2 in the morning and want you back at 9 a.m. the next day. You know, all I'm saying is it's not that this is such a uh, push job. Oh, but not by any means. Anyway, you hear me. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I hate to hear that you guys are, I mean, just like so many of us are kind of feeling stagnant and, Kind of like when's when's the workflow going to come back? But I know you said earlier that you've got at any given time, you know, twenty to thirty song projects in the works. You know, um, do yeah. you have do you have much intention on uh, you know putting that together, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, and putting out some new material anytime soon? It's funny that you ask that because I probably already have a couple of albums worth of finished stuff as well. Uh, my brother always acts like I should put it out. I just, you know, to me, the 
it's the creating of the music that's the interesting part and, and having people tell me their opinions about it are sort of the least interesting part about it. <laughs> right. I mean, look, let's face it. People, the people who are like, say, my Facebook friends, if I were to say to them, hey, here's my new record, it's like they'd be like, well, it doesn't sound like that, you know? Uh, you know, well... Because it's, you know, it's not uh, fast and loud and screaming, you know, it's something else. It's it's me. It's Most of it is like me expressing like really raw emotion, you know, and, and most people don't necessarily you know, aren't necessarily interested in that, who are, you know, who I might have a connection to from my notorious background, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and so you, you like to I think that people are really going to hold you to, you know, expecting you to sound like a project you were in however many decades ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, yeah, I think I as a player, stuff. you're, 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 I'm just interested in whatever creative project you're, you're leaning into at the time, just because, you know, as a player, you're really inspiring, and yeah, you know, you're just a wonderful artist all around. So, um, you know, if you do feel inspired, trust me, I think I'm not alone in thinking that there's a lot of people who'd who'd love to hear whatever musical styling you're leaning into. All right, well, into. here you go. Here you go. On on YouTube right now, there's a song called Peas, P E A S, and there's a song called Kill Him by the, Kira that my brother posted on YouTube which would give you an idea of kind of how some of my current songs, the sound of them. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with me so I can spend some time with that. I mean, I'm definitely going to have the downtime to, to absorb some new music right now. Um, but uh, what was I about to say? Um, you know, I mean, I guess just I think that I really agree with what you're saying. You know, as an artist it really helps if you can be a little bit selfish about the creating process because at the end of the day, you know, if you write a song or just a piece of music with the intention of trying to please some particular demographic's ear or some, you know, the audience in general's ear, I mean, you know, that's great. You know, you can feel however you want to feel about that accomplishment, but if you don't love the work it doesn't really mean as much if other people enjoy it, you know? So I feel like step one is just making whatever you are inspired and what you want to make and make sure you're happy with it. And if other people dig it, that's a nice little side, uh, you know, or a little byproduct of it. But at, at the core, you know, just be a little bit, uh, you know, just cater to your own taste and your own creative agenda. So, you know, whatever you are working on, whether or not you decide to release that or not, I, I totally I think it's pretty cool that, you, um, that you know, you're more concerned with just creating than you are whether or not something gets released or not. I'm really just excited to hear that you're still, you know, despite working those 30 days straight, that you're still finding some time to pick up the bass and, and work on stuff in general. Just, you know, you you definitely got a lot to offer to the world in that regard whether or not it becomes something that's released into the world or not you know i'd be i'd be excited to listen to it but i'm mostly just excited that you're making it so do with it what you will <laughs> well what's funny is i always tell people this i've been a bass player longer than i've been a woman so i'm not going to stop playing bass it's just kind of i have to or i feel yucky you know so oh, that totally. makes it kind of 
me. I, I can't, I can't really just stop. It's not, uh, it's not going to make me feel any better. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in your blood at this point, you know, and I'm glad to hear it. Um, you know, I'm glad you're, you're still picking it up and playing so regularly and that you've got so many creative ideas coming out, you know, that you're laying down. Um, and you know, you know, they move slow. They move slow. I'll admit that. They I feel slow. you on that. I'm not a fast writer either, you know. But I, I'll just lean into an idea until it's done. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of projects creatively that I let stew. I'm, I'm very anxious to put a fork in something myself. But I also, because of that, the, the nuggets that grow into something that is, you know, that you can put your finished stamp of approval on, those comes to me slowly because most of those little musical nuggets like I'm going to carry out to the end. So, it, you know, if it's a musical idea that doesn't deserve that kind of attention, it doesn't stick around long enough for me to get hung up on it. Um, but I do feel you on, you know, sometimes it does come slower. But um, anyways, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I won't keep you much longer, but um, we're going to be posting this sometime soon and I'll send it your way but uh, you know stay safe in all this kind of strange times we're dealing with and I hope that you and your husband can enjoy that time at home and love on your dogs and make the most of it we sure will and you guys take care of yourselves and uh, hopefully we'll get out on the other end of this and I'll be uh, have learned something from it somehow yeah, at the very least, we're all going to get to know ourselves a little better because I haven't <laughs> had this much downtime in years. It's, it's strange. Uh, see, I always, I, I often, I would say, have had, you know, little breaks between jobs and stuff. And, but I usually get to, you know, do some music and go see my brother. And, you know, they just think things, friends that I never get to see and stuff. It, it's just weird to be, to have to do it. Yeah. And then told what to do. Let's face it. Nobody likes to be told what to do. I don't <laughs> right. want to be told what to do. That is kind of the, the core of are. it. Here we are. We're being told what to do, and it's for our own good, damn it. Yep, exactly. That's like that's what I'm, I'm just trying to make the most of it. Right before I came here and spoke with you, I was uh, my girlfriend recently bought a big plot of land, and I was a big giant tree fell. Uh, long before she bought it and I spent the day taking a chainsaw to it um uh well my brother did most of the chainsaw and I did <laughs> just moving of the pieces after the fact but you know just things that like at the very least it's a beautiful day here in Colombia and I got to spend the day doing something that at the end of the day I prefer it to my desk job you know I, I get at my wits in there so I'm, I'm just trying to as much as I wasn't planning for it, and I hate the context, you know, it's scary seeing so many people get sick yeah. and all that, but, I mean, yeah. the circumstance is what it is, um, kind of just got to make the most of it, so I'm glad that we've been able to lean into the podcast a bit more, because we can do, you know, obviously you and I are miles and miles apart, so there's no risk there, um, and, you know, just trying to just make, you know, do as much of it this time as I can because, like you said, we're being told to do it and it's the right thing to do to stay home and not mix and mingle. So might as well try to do something constructive and productive with that time. 
Yeah, this seems like a good time for that. And and it's an easy time to reach people to do interviews, too, because they're stuck at home. Totally. Well, like I said, thank Usually you so much. It's harder to reach me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you were in the middle of that 30-day stretch, it would have been a lot harder to pull you in for you know chatting like this. So it really did kind of work in our favor. I said no uh, to everything and everyone. Thank you, actually thinking that I'd be able to do stuff afterwards. But. Right. Yeah. Now is the time for these kind of things, for sure. Well... Well, Kira, I'll let you go. Thank you so much again for, for chatting with me and uh, you know just for creating all the art that you've made and uh, just making the world a little bit of a brighter place along the way. Thank you so much, Dylan, and you guys take care out there and enjoy your uh, beautiful weather. We have some good weather out here, too, so I'm going to go take these puppies out and get a little sunshine. Absolutely. Well, tell the puppies we said hey and have a great day. All right, you too. All right, see you again. Bye. This has been a Comfort Month 